Welcome to the What More Can I Say podcast with your illustrious hosts, Dexter and Ernest. You've now reached the intersection of comedy and festivity, where unapologetically black opinions still matter. The What More Can I Say podcast can be found on all major podcast and social media platforms. Just search What More Can I Say and remember to like us and provide feedback. And now, onto the show. Tell him, KG. What you gonna say now? What can you say now? podcast i'm one of your hosts i'm dexter and i'm joined by my co-host ernest what's happening man uh nothing much how y'all people doing out there in podcast land well it's halloween man you feeling uh feeling spooky feeling scared man hell no to the no 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 i gave out candy i didn't want to i don't like people ringing my damn doorbell it's annoying so well did anybody show through your door with tiki torches that's what you need to worry about <laughs> Yeah, this is well. This is Texas, so I wouldn't be surprised. I, I see flags and signs of people's neighbor yards all up and down this street, um, supporting forty-five. So it wouldn't surprise me. Hey, long you don't see a MAGA hat and some some khakis and a white polo shirt, you good, man? <laughs> That's a white supremacist starter kit. Uh. But anyway, um, she hasn't made herself known yet. Um, but we would like to welcome back to the what more can i say podcast it feels like six times jada drew ladies and gentlemen welcome jada hi everyone thanks so much for having me again you know just excited to be here super excited to be here i like that passion having you again um it's the second time officially you've been on the show but it's like the third or fourth time we've tried to record this episode so <laughs> yeah i don't think the the technology wants i don't think it wants us to be great but we are more than enough we are more than enough that's true they don't want us to be great I feel like dj Khaled. they don't want you to have stars in the roof they don't want you to have stars in the roof so i got stars in the, we the best. <laughs> so um <laughs> this is episode 21 of the what more can i say podcast um jada last visit visited us on episode 12 she is back now to promote her new book that is dropping tomorrow, November 1st, titled More Than Enough. Jada, um, tell us about this book, um, the inspirations, um, how you came up with the project, and uh, what really inspired you to write this. Go ahead. More Than Enough was inspired by a lot of challenges that I was going through as a professional, as a woman, particularly a, a leadership and diversity professional, even, you know, as a as an aunt, as a friend, in really not thinking that I was enough in certain situations. And so um, I began to think about that a lot in the last couple of years. And it came to me, um, the title More Than Enough, while I was working with um, a local college in North Carolina. And the subtitle of my talk was More Than Enough because I was struggling with a lot of the things that um, that I just mentioned. And so I said, you know what? I think I think I should write a book, More Than Enough. And it happened um, 
it happened. It, it's here. Um, it's available tomorrow. Pre-orders starting tomorrow, November 1st. And I'm just amazed at the feedback that I've gotten um, just in talking about it and spreading the, the phrase more than enough and what it means when I actually ask people what makes you more than enough. It's interesting to see the feedback. Well, you know, I think it's really interesting. Um, just the title of the book and skimming through it. Um, I'm impressed. I can't wait, you know, to get the full version I think a lot of people in society, you know, yourself as a um, educator, activist, um, author, um, an inspiration to people, and I've seen, and I'm pretty sure Dex has too, low self-esteem is just as dangerous as any kind of, you know, physical or mental ailment that you can have, because I believe when you have low self-esteem, that that motivates you and you're more than more than likely to try to do things just to fit in, not necessarily because you want to, because you want to be accepted and you don't feel good about yourself. How do you think about what do you think about that, Jada? I think you're right. You know, when when you are dealing with whether it's low self-esteem or um, feeling as if you're not producing enough, I think low self-esteem can come in, you know, various ways. Right. It's like you open up a, a pack of Skittles and each color may represent each level of, you know, what someone may deem as low self-esteem. But I think even in performing at, at your job, you know, how many times have you asked yourself or gone over something, you know, very meticulously saying that I do that well enough or when I was yeah. facilitating say in this meeting, you know, did I say the right thing at the right time? And those questions began to come in our brain, I think, louder than us celebrating ourselves. So whether it's we're basking in, you know, quote unquote, low self-esteem or we're not celebrating what we're doing and and building off of our mistakes, I think that's uh, it's imperative for us to even understand it that's happening. Right. So one of the chapters I, I write about, um, I talk about chewing on our mistakes, I do not like making mistakes. I hate it. I'm close to being a perfectionist and I just wanted everything to be right. But in the process, I learned that that's not living. You know, it's not living when you try to get everything right. You have to learn from those mistakes and then turn those mistakes into success, turn those mistakes into um, the next lesson that you can give to yourself and that you can share with someone else. Well, see, I, I really love um, your approach, even from, you know, a young, ambitious, successful black woman writing this book, because I believe um, black people as a whole, more than any group of people in the country, not only, I mean, we're beat down by society because we're constantly seeing things and reading things and hearing things about how inferior, how inferior we are to everyone else. And I don't care who you are at. Sometimes, you know, you start to kind of you see it and you question like, man, are they are they right? You know, are we less than these people? So I think this is a very important book. And the more we discuss it, the more we talk about it, the more I feel good about it, because I think, you know, just hearing that some little black girl somewhere is going to pick up this book and read it and she's going to be inspired. And she'll be like, listen, Jada's more more than enough. Damn it. I'm more than enough, too. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I think that it definitely fits with, you know, when we see people, we see a reflection of ourselves. And when we don't see a reflection of ourselves, I think we're yearning to do so, no matter who we are and where we come from. The the phrase more than enough, I've asked people who are younger than me, older than me. I've been to college campuses. I've talked to elders. I've talked to my mom. I even asked you all <laughs> in our take one of the show. Uh, I've asked men. I've asked people who are gender nonconforming. I've asked friends, you know, tell me how you're more than enough. 
And it's amazing the silence that I hear. No matter what background, no matter no matter what, I hear the, I hear silence for it, at least five seconds when people are trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to say? How am I more than enough? So thinking about it and saying it and thinking about it and then moving it into action are three different things. So I really want people to think about what it means to be more than enough to yourself and then reflect on why you think that you are or why you think that you're not, and then move into action to even become more, more than enough. And it's a constant journey. I mean, I think about it every day. How can I be more than enough and train myself to say it each and every single day in the morning, throughout the day when I'm questioning myself? It's a practice. It's a practice that I think we all need in order to feel at the very least, to feel sane and to feel important and to feel celebrated. Well, uh, Jada, look, I guess a little off topic, but still within the same realm of, of uh, your book. Uh, mm-hmm. Since this is your second book that you wrote, and um, how was the pro- was the process different writing this one? Was it similar? Was it any any additional obstacles that you had to maneuver to to get this one out? Because you this was a quick turnaround time from your previous book, and uh, so that I mean, it says a lot that you can that you had the wherewithal to be able to sit down. Bang out another book, uh, and not just another, just a, a pamphlet or something, but a, a, a full-fledged mm-hmm. grown-up book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like grown-up. That's huge. That's huge. Well, I appreciate that. Um, it takes understanding where you want your reader to go and what you want your reader to get out of it. It's similar to the show. You all have put together a podcast where you want to have real conversations Um conversations of what people can listen to. They can connect with you. They can even banter with you in their cars, in the gym. Like, oh, I can't believe he said that, which I do a lot. (laughs) Or, oh yeah, I appreciate that, which I do a lot. And you know you want to take them through a certain, certain levels of emotion and you want them to leave asking more questions and doing more research, right? That's my perception from what I hear. So with this particular book, I wanted people to leave or go through the process feeling challenged throughout the entire time, but also feeling celebrated. And at the end, when they close the book, after reading the last chapter, which is called Thrive, they feel equipped to put practices, um, to really practice things, practice skills that they've learned throughout the journey. So the challenge for this book, it was hard as hell because I'm writing about challenges that I've experienced personally, like as a woman, yeah. as a um, an auntie, I love my nieces and my nephews, and I'm very career-driven. So I write about the complexities between the three and, and not feeling like I'm doing enough in any area. And I don't like talking about myself. I don't like telling people my business. <laughs> so it was challenging, but I really felt, felt like it needed to happen. So I had a, a brain... Um, freeze for about three months. So I decided I wanted to write the book in February of this year. And I would take notes in my phone every now and then. Things would come to me. I would feel like I'm in a groove. And then I would just go blank. Like, oh, I don't have anything to tell anybody. I'm I'm not even 35 years old yet. You know, unlike the two gentlemen on this call who are, you know, very <laughs> maturely, very maturely aging and, and looking great, might I say. Vintage. Um, <laughs> That's what we are with Vintage. 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 But um, I I just I didn't know what to say. I didn't feel like what I had to say was enough. And so fast forward about three months. I didn't write anything. 
I spoke at a women's event and I said, you know what? I think the underlying theme should be more than enough. Afterwards, throughout the speech, actually, I had the audience repeat after me, I am more than enough. And I was surprised at how many people said it with so much conviction to, you know, at the end of, of the event, you had council women, you had the mayor to get up and do closing remarks. And they started with the phrase, I am more than enough. And I said, oh, I think it's time. I think it's time. So right. after that, it, things just started coming to me. I was telling you all earlier on the call, um, just kind of going through those very, very, very fine, meticulous things, um, editing, because, you know, the book, it's it's coming out tomorrow in pre-order, but I have like two more days to get those last edits. And it's like, okay, well, let me change this. So it's, a, it's like I said, it's a constant process. So the challenge was not feeling like I was enough. And um, the, the, the great thing about haven't done it once before, is that I had a template. I knew how many pages I needed to make a book pop. I know I knew the things that made the book me that people uh, really appreciated, you know, that I wanted to keep in this book, um, similar to the last one. So um, how did you structure the book and, you know, the structure and the style of each chapter? Uh, talk to us about that. Okay, so this is exciting. So I've been to so many places around the world. Um, I've been privileged to do that through my work and just through my passion. And so every single chapter starts off with a, a journal entry from when I was in a particular place, from South Africa and Durban to Barbados to even Apex, North Carolina, Greensboro. And I start off with a story. Each each chapter has a story. It has very specific fundamental steps. And um, and then I ask questions throughout the book, just like Revolutionize Now, questions mm-hmm. that have the, the reader think about ways that they are more than enough specific to that particular that particular topic or chapter. That's dope. I mean, that's a interesting way to kind of form your because you kind of let the let the reader in on the personal experience first and mm-hmm. it kind of shapes your narrative. So that's that's a pretty cool way of doing it. Thanks. I hope you, I hope everybody's going to like it. I think it's cool. Yeah, we. I know. I know. We definitely look forward to to actually reading and getting a copy, a fresh, hot off the press copy in hand, hopefully signed. Right. Of course. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's just just the idea, of just getting to the point where you're able to create a book, take it from draft, take it to, to editing, to publishing. Like just that entire process is an arduous task anyway. And a lot of people can, you know, they can, it's hard. A lot of people can come up with an idea for something, but to conceptualize it and make it a reality and to do it twice, that's a big deal. So you got to pat yourself on the back for that one. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm ready for yours. I know you've talked before about, you know, your book and when you're going to write it. Just start writing those ideas down. It'll come. It'll come eventually. You just got to. Keep keep at it. I think mom as, might, as we say back home, keep at it. I think mom might be changed into a to a uh, sci- science fiction novel. Uh, I can give you the, give you a preface of it. It's a it's a young black man trying to trying to search out coons. Oh my and, gosh! <laughs> no, I will not support. For the record, I will not support. Hey, for the record, fans, um, listeners. Episode 12, Jada despises the word coon. But as we yes. talked about before, coon. it rolls off the lips. Bloody. Yes, and you should listen to episode 12 because there is some very historical, relevant, 
pieces that I bring into the mix for these gentlemen. Mm. And speaking about self-esteem, that is detrimental to you're talking about, you know, black culture and <sighs> little black girls. If we continue to call each other coons and put each other down in that way, it's going to continue. You know, we're more than enough. Comes, I, we're not I, so let me ask you a question. Would not Sellout coming. be better or Uncle Tom or Sambo? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we, well, we talked about this in episode 12, and, I, and my response was, I don't like any of it. Shuck and Jive Esquire. Hey, oh, listen, <laughs> we're, we're just going to have a show about just purely racial epithets and just, you know, which ones and which we ones should. aren't. We should. But, um, Maybe we can, we can bury it like the N word, dude. We can. Send it off in a Viking burial. Well, <laughs> well, before before we move on to the next subject, uh, one thing I want to say, uh, Jada, I am uh, just being a native of the metropolitan area known as Rich Square, North Carolina, two seventy eight. town. You know, I, I I love to see people from back home doing well, whether it's you know you or you know Kevin Jones or Yank or you know. Cause it's so it's just so many people, but I'm extremely proud of you, and you best believe you. I, will, I will be walking around and you know promoting your book down Thank here. You. I appreciate that. Thank so you. So big up to Jada. Now, well, hold on, Jada. Can, can you before we move on to the uh, to the, uh, the the normal uh, show rundown? Uh, can you tell us where we can find the book? Of course, of course, you can find the book More Than Enough, Step Into the Next Level of You at jadamonicadrew.com forward slash enough. And these are pre-orders. So the pre-orders are available half off right now, half off until December 1st when it'll go live on Amazon. You can find me on social media, J-D-O-T-D-R-E-W, that's j.drew on Instagram as well as Twitter. Um, you can find me on Facebook at Jada Monica Drew. And please, please, please use the hashtag tell me why you are more than enough. Tag me on Instagram. Put it on your Instagram story. And um, thank you so much, um, guys, for giving me the opportunity um, to share uh, a passion of mine, which is really being a catalyst for, for other people's uh, change and helping people empower themselves. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I really want to know why you are more than enough. What more can I say, podcast host? Why are you more than enough? Uh, is that, have we met the five-second whole time yet? Cause... Go, go ahead, Captain America. Yeah, I do have my Captain America mask on. I'm, I'm more than enough because I'm wearing a Captain America mask, and I am all for America, and America's all for me. <laughs> Does that work? You know, it's Halloween, you know. Uh, is, that, is that an honest answer? Probably not. See, Listen, I'm... <laughs> That was your Go practice ahead, run. Man. We'll come back to you. That's what we say in facilitation circles. We'll come back to you. <laughs> I'm more than enough because I wake up in the morning. I piss excellence. I mean, it's oh just my no, gosh, it's no other way around it. Listen, <laughs> hold on. So you, so you, 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 you're pissing your excellence down the drain. Nah, nah, that's I mean, you, you have an abundance of excellence. That's the overflow, right? Well, hold on. <laughs> hold on. Listen. Oh my gosh. So you feel with this? I don't understand this analogy work. I don't I don't get it. Listen, that was... listen. I, I'm more than enough because I understand uh my value and uh, you know I'm I, I'm constantly working to improve myself and not just myself but the people around me and honestly the world, period. I know this sounds corny, but you know, 
at the end of the day, when I leave this planet, I just want to know that, you know, I have, you know, helped inspire someone to change their lives, mm-hmm. kind of like what Jada's doing. And so that that is what makes me more than enough. I love it. It's beautiful. Love it. It's beautiful. Dexter, now we're uh, back around I'm, the circle. I'm, I'm more Here's than enough. Your, <clears throat> here's your time. Let me clear my here's throat. Your time. <clears throat> here's your time. I'm more than enough because I am more than enough. I'm more than enough because my heart tells me I'm more than enough. And when I look around this world and I see each and every smiling face in this planet and they all look back at me with the same joyous, uh, joyous eyes and abundant heart as it overflows towards the, the, the zenith of feelings and of, of um, this, the, just the, the love and servitude that circles back inside and emotes beyond my walls. Uh, <laughs> I am more than enough. Well, thank you. It's my spoken. Thank you for your poetry. Thank you for your poetry. Snaps, snaps. Spoken word. Snaps. Thank you. Thanks again, y'all, for real. Thank you so much for, what, what for the, your time. Listen, this ain't the end of the show. We just getting into the fun part. I oh, mean, yeah. you were the fun meat. there, but we about to yeah, we about to get into the meat and potatoes. I mean, I was just showing my gratitude. You can show that at the end of the show. Well, let's ju- let's jump let's jump into the uh to the rundown, man. Ernest, you rundown. Keep this thing off, man. I kicked this thing off. Well, so, you know, uh, before we start, and I know we said this already, for, and I haven't even, haven't even greenlit this with my co-host yet, but the first uh, three people that uh, send us a screenshot of, of uh, five-star feedback, either iTunes or Stitcher, if you send it, send it to the, uh, what more can I say, Facebook fan page, we will give you a pre-order uh, copy of of Jada's book. Hold up! Oh, not that's only, awesome. But hey, not only that, but you have to do everything that Jada says. You have to, you know, hashtag why am I more than enough, and you have to state why you are more than enough. That's it. That's all you have to do. That's all you have to do. You might want to write that down. But we need that five star. Sign copy. Please. We gotta have Coming that five to star. You. If it's four star, you if it's four star, you ain't getting nothing. If it's three star, you definitely ain't getting nothing. If you're two star, kill yourself. No, don't say that. Dude, I'm gonna tell you something. I know who's gonna do it. Rich, Richie. I bet best believe Dex. He's gonna be one of the people to do it, man. That's just how he get down. Yeah. I mean, What's up, Rich? Just want to share the love for the book and stuff. Anyway, so if we can, if we can uh, share it and get some positive feedback as well. It's a win-win. Yep. What more can I say? <laughs> Thanks, fellas. All right, run this thing up. Let's, let's get it. All right, so um, moving on to the next subject. Uh, we we talk about sports a lot on the What More Can I Say podcast. Um, a lot. I think it's important. A lot. I think it's important we do that because a lot of the things that go on in sports, I, it really to me, it really represents our position in the country over the last 152 years and beyond. So um, the game has changed, but a lot of the rules are the same. So leading into that, last week, Texas owner Bob McNair made a comment. He said, we cannot have the inmates running the prison. Once again, this guy said, we cannot have the inmates running the prison. And this all goes back to... Well, we're referring uh, to Texas owner, uh, the Houston Texans NFL football team. The comment was referring to the players. So I want to make sure if people didn't know who the Texans were. Yeah, the the Houston Texans, and you know, it's refl- referring to the players um, taking a knee during the national anthem. 
And um, ever since 45 came out and said, did you know that they should, the NFL owners should fire the SOBs to take a knee. We can't have people disrespecting our anthem, disrespecting our flag, disrespecting our country. So the owners are kind of, you know, Russian trying to, you know, do damage control. And it was almost okay. Well, not really okay. But then he came out and said this. Jada, what are your thoughts on Bob McNair's comments about the inmates running the prison? Well, I think it's it's factual that he said it, A. (laughs) B, um, it is assumed by me because I wasn't there. And he's referring to the players that were taking a knee, right? So the players that were taking a knee, I think that there were multiple reasons why. It stemmed from really bringing awareness around police brutality, right, in our country. It doesn't have anything to do with the anthem. So I think the comment, um, I think it stemmed from what I would say is implicit and explicit bias. That analogy, I think, was not a, a good analogy because um, we're talking about sports players. We're not talking about inmates. And even if we were talking about inmates, um, it's the I think the, the way in which he's talking about people not having their own voice, not having um, a say. I don't think it's right. I think that um, there's a lot of, a lot that we can learn from what's happening in the country right now, just what it means to have dialogue and what it looks like not to. Yeah, and I think um, <laughs> nowadays there's so many opportunities for people to put their foot in their mouth, whether it's on social media. Um, if you're a celebrity, you always have a camera in your face. You always have someone asking you questions. And I believe in this situation, his true feelings came out. And I think we're going to start to see more and more, especially, you know, as people look to they think being politically correct is something that's bad. Um, And just, you know, the current climate in the country, which, you know, our great leader 45 has kind of, you know, established. So but we go back and let's look at the players, what their reactions were. So some of them were upset and they left practice. And then um, the majority of them na- took a knee during they, their their um, game. I think it was Saturday. Yeah, I think only Men- ten players stood up. Stood up out of mm-hmm. 50, 53 players. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So me and Dex have talked about this extensively offline. So Dex, what do you feel about um, Hopkins and uh, I think Foreman Freeman leaving practice? What do you think about that? At first, I was I was like, yeah, this is a unified effort. These, you know, the players were they were upset by the comments that he made, and they took a stand. They they left practice. They didn't go to the next. Well, they didn't show for the next practice uh, as a as an act of protest. And then I found out that no, okay, yeah, they took a they they protest. They didn't go to practice, but they they formally took a personal day. Uh, it was basically given to them by the organization. So it was kind of like, you know, like if something happens, let's, let's say if you were a student in school and something happens at school and the teachers is like, hey, kids, if you want to go home today, you guys feel uncomfortable about anything. If you want to go home, you can. And that's what kind of happened. And they went home. So it really did. Mm-hmm. Even though it was reported kind of as a protest, it really wasn't a protest. And then secondly, they they showed up the follow, you know, Sunday or uh, two days ago for the game and they played and there was no, you know, if you want to protest, like, look, I think protests have to mean something. Right? It's, it's, it, there should be some type of impact to it. And the protest inherently should, should make people uncomfortable. And I mean, that's the only way protests, you know, create any, any yeah. type of change. Yeah. 
them taking taking a personal day on a off pretty much on a typically if you don't if you don't know how football works is typically players have one day a week especially starters or players that get significant minutes they have one day a week where they can take kind of a personal day or free day from practicing usually it's early in the week um so it's not it's not out of the ordinary for a veteran player to not practice one day a week so for them to miss practice it's not like the end all be all it's not like they they miss significant time or you know i mean like the impact really wasn't there, so they're not they're not drawing a hard line in the sand exactly. and say, "Listen, this is it. This is bullshit. We're not going to take it." Yeah. So I'm not even sure if they called it a protest or not, or if the you know the media just kind of got a hold of it and and assign a protest to whatever they decided to do. Um, and like I said, the the next day they showed up to the game, they took a knee, and they went out there and caught touchdowns. So, so, you know, so it's kind of a non-story almost. I mean, I think it is a story, though. I mean, I think we ex- I think a lot of times we expect people who are celebrities to do so much, not even think. And yes, they have a big voice. I mean, you can say that the two of you have a big voice in having this podcast. I have a big voice because I'm on the podcast. But I think we have to be as empathetic as possible and say, OK, well, what will we do in this situation? How can it be a collective um effort and what is the collective effort moving towards and then thirdly we don't know what kind of conversations that people are having you know behind closed doors i don't tell everybody every single thing that i do mm-hmm. um but so i think that you know part of it is let's you know teasing out things that happen things that we don't know that might have happened and just being more more inquisitive in the process i mean people people get so much like just so much, I think, uh, criticism. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm void of that. I give criticism to a lot of people who are in the public eye, but I don't know. I think sometimes we expect people to do more than what they can, and mm-hmm. um, the conversations oftentimes one side should do. Should the guy have said that? McNair said that. I don't think so. Um, I think that people are practicing their right to to kneel, and that's that even says a lot um and it shows a lot i think to a lot of the the youth who are doing the same thing in high school and even i think i saw a post where kids were doing it um like in rec rec ball games rec leagues uh-huh. where you know they were what five seven years old yeah. you know but you know i think uh what's going to be interesting is how this plays out um if it, if the nfl lets it uh, slowly die down um well, there was a similar have requested a meeting with with roger goodell and bob in there so there, there should be an open dialogue with Roger Dale, who's commissioner of the NFL and the mm-hmm. owner of the Houston Texas, and 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 they want to include Kaepernick in it as well. So, uh, you know, do you all think that should be publicized? I'm just nosy. I want to see it, but do you, um, <laughs> do you think it should be publicized? I yes. think the outcome of it should. I'm not sure. If they, I mean, maybe the actual discussions. It, you know, I would like for it to be publicized, like in some type of town hall setting, but. If not, mm-hmm. but at least the outcome, at least a, whatever the outcome is, when they come out, they they're they don't want a court kind of thing, and and uh, you know I'm at, well, it's at co- this point I don't even know what to expect. I don't I don't I don't know what we what we should be expecting. You know, I mean at the end of the day, this is their profession. They're working. They're on a the job, and uh, so I, I don't know what we can even expect for them to you know even with this meeting with Goodell, like what are they asking for? What mm-hmm. what are their demands? What do they require? You know what I mean? Is it has it been trivialized to the point of all they want to do is kneel, or are they actively trying to come up with solutions for? Because they're football. At the end of the day, they are football players, and coming yeah. up with solutions to stop injustice may not be their wheelhouse. 
So, like, I don't well, know what, what I really expect from them. Well, you know, it's going to be interesting how it plays out. Several years ago, um, an NBA owner, Donald Sterling, he was recorded by his black mistress making some comments, um, disparaging comments and remarks about black people. Yeah, it bothers me a lot that you want to broadcast that you're associating with black people. You have to. You could sleep with them, you could bring them in, you could do whatever you want. The little I ask you is not to promote it on that and, and not to bring them to my games. I mean, it's not funny, Johnson? but... <laughs> yeah, he, she was like, well, why are you hanging out with Magic Johnson? And, you know, you could bring whoever you want to bring to the game. Or, you know, why are you talking to these black people? And, you know, that was, you know, more, you know, he, he was kind of caught off guard. Not saying it's okay for what he, what he said, but they made him sell the team. I mean, I doubt if they do this to Bob McNair because, you know, NFL owners are definitely part of the good old boy system. That is a, that is a big distinction, right? Yeah. Donald but, Sterling, NBA owner, gets recorded saying some obscene comments about black people. Gets the NBA steps in and forces him to they distance themselves from him immediately. The players threaten to walk out. the The NBA steps in and and, and forces a sale of the team. You know, making two billion dollars off the team off the sale well, anyway. Listen, but they force the sale. So. How, it's completely, you, you know what I mean? That's a major, major market, one of the most expensive teams in the league. And the NBA took a stance and said, we don't associate, we don't align ourselves with those, with those comments and your value system. We're forcing mm-hmm. you out. I mean, he was a, a longtime owner of the, of the, um, the Clippers, and they forced them out. So uh, they forced him out, but he also sold. So there, yeah, there was also yeah. a gain in it, you know. Exactly. Oh, like he definitely, he, he definitely <laughs> he made, made a lot of money. He made a whole lot. Of money. <laughs> oh, uh, but what I'm uh, saying is, from a from a, <laughs> I guess from a perception standpoint, like whatever the outcome was, the NBA did take a stand and say we don't align ourselves with that. The NBA is taking a complete alternative approach. They're they're acting like uh, my name Bennett. I ain't in it. I ain't hear nothing. We ain't saying nothing. You know, let's 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 play football. And so that's and that's kind of how the the NFL has been kind of from day one. They've been forced to be confronted with these issues begrudgingly. They haven't wanted to speak on these things. You have, I mean, how often have you heard Goodell have anything to even say about players protesting and stuff? Like he, it took him months to even say anything the first time. So you know, whereas the NBA are, are upfront and they're you know they're completely opposed to it, or at least perception wise, they say they're opposed to it. The NFL is kind of get get along to get along, keep these rich billionaires happy, and they understand who their fan base is. Like we can complain all we want, but the fan base that they cater to is not exactly us. The season ticket holders, it's yep. not exactly us. The the merchandising, which however African Americans do purchase just as much merchandise as, as white Americans, it is more of them. So they're they're the target audience for the NFL. You can see it in their marketing campaigns. You can see it in their in their discussions. Um, so I, that's what I, I'm kind of out of all these protests and all this stuff and all these kind of comments and rhetoric and stuff. I don't know where the NFL can kind of take this. I don't know what's the player's responsibility on this. I, I'm kind of, at this point. I'm just kind of like when I hear another story about a player kneeling and stuff. It's been happening. You know, I'm kind of numb to it now because. The audience well, that needs to, to be aware of it, they don't care about it. Who well, is I'm the audience s- that needs to be aware? I'm just curious. Like when you say that. It's the audience that, that can see 
that can clearly see, like Colin Kaepernick can, can or and other players can clearly come out and say what we're protesting for, and they can mm-hmm. turn around and tell you, don't disrespect the flag. It's that mm-hmm. audience. It's the audience mm-hmm. that can see a black person getting killed in the street, and mm-hmm. they turn around and say, conservative hey, white America. Not all, what about the deaths? What about the murders in Chicago? Like, it's that kind of, it's those people that, those, that's the target fan base or target market for the NFL. Those are the people that, that these protests need to cut to the center of. These are the, the, the protest makes them feel uncomfortable. Therefore, their reaction is to, to we see their reaction in the news. We see it on Facebook. We see it on social media. They're upset about it. They're bothered by it. So those are the people that need to make a change. Like we already know. Like when we see somebody kneel and we see the, the black power fist go up, we know what it is. He, they ain't speaking to us. The players, by them kneeling, they're speaking to those to the the other fans, the other people, and um, you know that's what we're that's the issue we're, we're kind of having. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Well, moving on. Um, this next um, topic is kind of racy. Dark skinned strippers go on strike in New York City. Um. The strippers claim that dancers with dark skin are heavily discriminated against and are not permitted to dance during high-earning nights, such as parties hosted by celebrities. Club owners are either not allowing the darker-skinned dancers to dance on those nights at at all or simply banning them from the VIP areas where they would be able to earn more. Uh, This was something that was very interesting to me because... uh, Because they strip? Yeah, because... Yes, because I think it's, it's one of those things before as as we progress as society, I really do enjoy the fact that people are standing up for their rights and, you know, actually say, hey, no, this is not right. We demand and we expect more. What do you think about these strippers saying that they're going to strike Jada because the dark skin sisters are not feeling the love? Yeah, go to Jada first. Yeah, definitely yeah. Jada. Jada know all about <laughs> Jada, when you when you slide up and down, that's <laughs> Really? That's what you're gonna do this evening? So I didn't see. I didn't hear that part. This is the this is the first. I I'm, I don't think I understood the um, the story completely. So my understanding is that they were they were protesting because strippers in general were protesting because they weren't getting as much play as um, bartenders in in New York because in New York it's a different it's just a different uh, culture in in strip clubs. But this story just makes me think. Hmm. Well, if they feel like they're they're not getting enough money, then they they have the right to protest. But see, I think it's that's part of it comes too. From the color. That's where the slight yeah. comes from. You know, what I mean, that's where the the, the bartender thing. Because basically, what happened is is that the New York strip clubs they they're hiring, you know, lighter skin or exotic bartenders. Bartenders, yeah, gotcha. and they're bringing okay. in right. like celebrity guest hosts to like bartend or or like mm-hmm. celebrity bartenders or well known. But they all the, the commonality in all those all those people that they're you know they they market exotic you know they want light skin long hair and those women they don't have to dance they don't have to get on the pole they don't have to do anything they just kind of gyrate behind the bar and, yep, sh- and get money yeah they show vi- i've seen video of it man where they and you know and i've seen some firsthand <clears throat> but um where they are where the bartenders are literally like pe- the men are tipping the bartenders just just as much if not more than the strippers Mm-hmm. And they're making more, and they don't have to split the money with anybody. 
Whereas the the strippers have to split it with the bouncer for for the security piece. They have to, and they also have to give a portion of their tips to the bartenders and the DJ and the DJ and the DJ. Yeah. Oh goodness! So they're, so they're like each stripper is like an independent contractor, right? So they the have price to pay, is way too high. They so they got to pay the booth rent. They got to pay. They got to pay for all their stuff, and they got the booth rent. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just, it, hey, Jay, it's like working in a in a barber shop. Like you know, you got to pay your twenty five a week. Yeah. Wow. So hold on, let me read out what um, DJ K Slay said. You know, DJ K Slay, you know, K. famous Slay, New York Slay. DJ, uh, radio personality. He said, "What I do understand and acknowledge is that there is racism against black women in most of these New York City strip clubs." It has been going on for a while now. It just didn't start. At some of my events when it's celebrities in the VIP, I have to grab the black women by their hands and pull them into the VIP. So that's that's crazy, man, as far as like, you know, just. But I think it goes to show that in so many different levels of society, you know, our sisters are not viewed as, you know, darker skinned sisters are not looked upon as being as pretty as other women, exotic women, even light skinned black women. And that's problematic. Yeah, because so did you I- guys hear the comments from from Cardi B about what she say? Have you ever been to a have you ever been to a strip club in New York? It's kinda sad. Do you know that right now in the strip club in New York, the bartenders are the new thing right now. And if you notice, they don't even hire black bartenders in New York City strip clubs, which is sad. Why do you think that is? Because uh, I, I feel like people is having these fetish with these girls that they consider exotic, you know? She saw it when she was stripping. It's the same kind of thing where... You know, black black women have to. They can't even like the clubs won't even hire them or even let them be bartenders if they want to be bartenders, and they don't get in VIP where where the money is. Yeah. They don't get access mm-hmm. to like the high rollers. They they have to work just like black people in general. They have to work twice, two times harder, or twice as harder than than their counterparts to get less. And um, and this is it is definitely unique to New York. Like Atlanta's not like that. Uh, well. Mm-hmm. Houston, not like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and see, my question is, why is it different in New York and what makes it different? Like, historically, said it was just because I'm just like so interested in mm-hmm. the demographic of yeah, the, saying the, 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 the patrons. Mm-hmm. Saying, like, yeah. A lot of Spanish guys, a lot of white guys, a lot of black guys. And they uh, they find that, you know, the uh, they say even the black guys that they typically go, they like more the, the exotic look because the. The promoters and stuff, they kind of promote them as special. So as a patron, you're looking at the flyers and stuff. You that's what you're seeing. That's what you know, and that's the image that we kind of see any you know, all over anyway. You know, I mean we saw from video chicks and whoever else, it's it's always the, yeah. the light skin, long hair, whatever chick with the blue, blue eyes or gray or whatever, and they throw them out and um and Cardi B was even saying, like, I, damn, I, don't, I don't think I've ever had to quote Cardi B before. But <laughs> Cardi B. <laughs> uh, these are bloody shoes. Um, She's getting married now. Yeah. But she was Especially saying, like, even if you're just a black woman, like, it, it doesn't even have to do with, you know, you being, like, light-skinned and dark-skinned. She was, her thing was, like, just black in general, you ain't getting top billing. You got to be Spanish. You got to be white. You got to be something, some mixture or something. You can't just be 
but she's woman. isn't she Latina? Yeah, she's. Yeah, she. Hey, don't get it twisted. She don't claim to be a sister at all. Don't be fooled. I think she goes back and forth, but I, okay. So I'm gonna say something controversial. Let me first say that anybody that's not being treated fairly, they should make sure that they stand up for themselves. So I'm glad that they are protesting. Mm-hmm. So I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, and they were talking about the exoticism. Well, I'm putting it in my own words. Basically, they were saying the exoticism of um, people who, women, specifically women who are not African-American, a lot of that comes from, and this is a current, right? Not talking too much about history, but currently it comes from men's want for the natural. And you all know now a lot of our women are not natural from the hair to the lashes, to the nails, to the butts. Like a lot of that is not natural. Now, I'm not saying in comparison what that looks like in other communities. I'm just I'm just talking about like within our community, specifically African-American women. And so when I first heard that, I went to, well, you know, other communities do it too. Other people have extensions and extensions are just different and blah, blah, blah. And they were like, well, let's just talk about us. And I was like, okay, okay. Well, let's sit in that for a minute. So I want to ask y'all, like, what do you all think about, think about that comment? That maybe some of it is because we're not natural. We're not different. We're fake uh, in well, those, in those sentiments. Well, I don't, you know, I don't think it's because, you know, our women are fake, um, Especially in the strip club, right? We're talking about the strip club. Everybody, yeah. like, if this was, like, regular life, then we're, you're talking about something. But the strip club, we all going in there for a fantasy. So they all fake. They all got fake booze. They all got fake breasts, fake eyelashes. And I didn't, even, I didn't know that. I didn't know that, actually. I just yeah. learned that recently, that body parts were fake in strip clubs. I thought that's where you go get the voluptuousness. Nah, that was real. Like, especially, um, especially yeah. in, like, like I said, New York, New York strip club is a little different. Uh, than like Atlanta, like down south and stuff, but yeah, they're they're like like you have to have breast implants and stuff to work in certain strip clubs. You got you have to have really, yeah, you gotta have fake butt. Like wow. you, you, ain't, you ain't you ain't getting like center stage unless you got fake. So all of them got unless it's fake. What if it's naturally fake. big? No, dude, I, I watched a video a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it was this one chick, and she was saying she got b- butt implants, and she was a sister. Mm-hmm. And she was like, before the implants, I mean, she just was making, you know, okay money. But so as soon as she got, as soon as she got those those ass implants, the ass injections, she was like mm-hmm. killing it, top yeah. billing, you know, marketing her like as the you know the major attraction and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it matters, man. I mean, I mean, y'all are the guys. Y'all tell. I mean, I don't know what is it. What is it? What is it that that you that that's like. What do you like? The, I guess the question that you were asking is why? Why do black women, dark-skinned women, particularly African-American women, you know, they don't get play in in strip clubs? And so my thing, my question was just, okay, well, maybe the exoticism is because uh, of them not being natural, right? So if that's not the case. Uh, historically, you know, what we have been, what we can see and trace, the darker you are. The curlier your hair is, the less desirable you are. Exactly. Period. I don't think it's period. I don't think it's period. Well, but yes, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say is. I'm not going to say it's period with us. I'm not going to say it's period with like a lot of black people, a lot of black men. But for the dominant society, that's what they view. And if, like Dex said, if they go into a strip club, they want to see their fantasy. They don't want to see you know Tasha, you know curvy, natural hair, you no know, thighs and hips and shit. 
They want to see, you know, Becky, long, straight hair, you know, boobs and ass not proportionate to her damn hips. That's what they want to see. And that's a big they, part of That's a huge part of it, man, because, look, man, it's, like I say, it's a den of den of fantasies and and uh, iniquities, you know what I mean? Like, there's, you, <laughs> you know, you want to have something that you can't ordinarily have or something you can't ordinarily see. So... That's why, like, if you know you go in black strip clubs and stuff, I mean, you see, you can always see some white girls in there, and they're gonna be built like, like damn Clydesdales, you know. What I mean? <laughs> and it just is what it is because they know that, and those and those white girls or or mixed girls or whatever they are, they gonna they gonna get top billing because a lot of guys sit back and say, well, I can mess with. Like I see Tasha all the time at KFC. I see her at at the job. I see yeah. Her but I I don't see this thick you know white chick or this thick Asian chick or whatever they they different and they gravitate towards that so mm-hmm. I think that's kind of how, how the strip club thing because it's, it's sensationalized you know what I mean now one thing mm-hmm. I will say I have been to um, gentlemen's clubs across the the world um, East Coast down South you know Vegas Greece all over the place and it's it's just like anything else you're gonna see different bodies, different, you know, shapes based on where you at. But one thing I would say is like the reoccurring theme and, you know, up north, Vegas, overseas is more of the people that ascribe to the European standard of beauty. But if you go to places in Atlanta, Florida, Texas, some places, you see a more voluptuous woman. And it's kind of reflective you know, of what they view as attractive in those areas. So mm-hmm. if you if you want to see, if you want to measure a standard of beauty for an area where someone thinks it's hot, go to your local strip club. And it's going to tell you the damn story <laughs> what you want to know. Serious. Seriously. So yeah. I think... Uh, yeah. And a demographic too, right? Because if you go to a white strip club or gentleman's club, whatever, uh, it's, the, it's like, it's typically it's the opposite. So if if it's all let's say if it's ten white dancers, you have like one black girl, and she's gonna be kind of top billing because she's she's kind of unique, and you know she gets fetishized by like you know the white guys in there, and they're like, oh man, here's a here's a black girl with fake boobs, and they all over her, you know. <laughs> but in that situation, she becomes the exotic one. Yeah. She becomes the desired one. So it's just it's weird how it works, man. Mm, interesting. This is this yeah, interesting. You sound like um, a person who's never gone to a strip club. I mean, do tell. Yeah, like I said, this is very interesting <laughs> conversation. <laughs> I can't see you on camera, James. I can't see the face. Yeah, yeah. So, she's so smooth around that shit. That smooth around. I'm just learning a lot from y'all's ex- worldwide experiences in strip clubs. Okay, Steve Harvey. Oh yeah, sound of sound. So that's your way of calling me a coon, and I need you to take it back and apologize. Oh, don't do that. Not cute. I've Not never, cute. Never referred to Steve Harvey as a coon in my life. Oh, what? Y'all need a lie meter. Okay. You need a lie meter. Add a D. You need a lie meter. For real. But no, I've experienced I've experienced strip clubs in different places, mostly abroad, and so having conversations about so much fakeness and learning now recently that a lot of what happens in strip clubs isn't authentic as far as the body parts. Mm-hmm. I swear, I did not know until like a month ago. Uh, well, <laughs> I you know, I'm, 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 I'm going to be honest with you. It wasn't always the case. Mm-hmm. Like, especially in black strip clubs, 
it wasn't always the case. It was more authentic. And like if you went to like a white strip club, you you were gonna get the big, you know, big fake breasts and and that was like the norm. Like they all have like big fake breasts and stuff. But now and I haven't look, I don't, I don't even want, I haven't been to a strip club in a while. Um, not even a, not a huge fan of them. Um, but yeah, but now like I I think just like I said, it's an arms race, man. If if one chick get like a big butt and she getting them dollars. Everybody gotta get them big butts. You know what I mean? Dude, what's a, it's, it is what it is. It was a silicone war instead of a damn cold <laughs> war. But it's sad though. Like I said, I mean, if we want to connect it back to, I mean, I might be getting too deep, but connecting it even back to the book around being more than enough. I mean, it's in every single industry where people don't think that what they have is good enough. And sometimes what you're producing and the confidence that you have when you're producing it, it will attract whatever you want to come. It's just a matter of your confidence. And yes, there, you know, there are things that are in place systemically, you know, for instance, with the the strip club in, in New York and how that's playing out. But if you don't, I mean, this is just my motto. A lot of people disagree with this. But for me, if I don't like it, I'm leaving. If I don't like it, I'm leaving. And I feel like we have choice in that. So yep. just the, the even talking about strip club culture, I don't have anything against strip clubs. Um, I, I do, however, see the culture of an adult industry bleeding into um, popular culture, which then bleeds down to our kids, which I don't like. Right. So the, the concept of doing things that adults do, uh, music that adults listen to, things, you know, around adult entertainment is to me, it's becoming too mainstream. And because of that, there's that, you know, over exoticism of just being, I think, a woman and being accepted if you have certain body parts. And now I see, you know, kids that I work with or have worked with, you know, just kind of taking that in as the way to be. And that's what I don't like. Right. If we want to take it there. Well, you know, I think, you know, piggybacking off of what you said, we can go back back to the book more than enough. I think more than ever, we have access and children have access to images of people and things that is unrealistic to think that they can get. Because so if you just look at Instagram, you can go look at beautiful people on Instagram all day. You know, people that are fit and you want to get these bodies and you want to get mm-hmm. these eyebrows and you want to get this hair and this tan and this makeup and all this stuff. And I think it's teaching our kids the wrong thing. I think it's, you know, it's teaching them that if you're pretty and if you're getting likes and you're getting that, that notoriety or that recognition, you know, online, it, it validates you. It means that you're someone or you're something. So mm-hmm. it's teach, it's the whole, you know, style over substance thing. You know, I think exactly. we're becoming very, very shallow as people and putting the parents up as, you know, the overall value and quality and how we, you know, look at someone and determine their worth. And that's dangerous. And it's and filtered. So it you gotta have those filters. <laughs> exactly. Now, have you, when last you seen the picture that wasn't edited or filtered? The picture you just posted on uh, Facebook of us? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, you didn't. Yes, sir. Go check it out. Oh, my gosh. I told y'all. So, um, listeners, I'm not trying to filter. You know, sometimes I just don't like to comb my hair at 10 o'clock at night, you know? But hey, but that's life. That's real. Real talk. (laughs) Speaking of hair. uh, What are you talking about? I think you want to transition. So, I was speaking of hair. So, do do y'all have any closing comments on um, the the stripper strike in New York? Uh, yeah, yeah, hashtag stripper strike. They trying to get their bread, man, and 
let them let them get it. Dude, what I would love to see come out of this, I would love to see someone um, like create a place where these dark skinned sisters could come and dance and thrive and cater to the demographic that wants to see the sisters. Because I wonder what area of New York uh, these clubs are. I wonder if it's in Manhattan or somewhere else. You know, someone build a joint, you know, where it's, you know, a population of, of black men, put their sisters to work, let them get their money back. <laughs> Seriously, man. Seriously. Yeah. No comment. We're not talking about putting nobody to work. <laughs> they deciding if they're going to work nah, or not. Okay. You know what that sounds like, were, dude? You know what you just sound like? You just said, let's take let's take some of these black women, let's put them heifers to work. Like, dude, you sound, no. you sound like Bob in there, dude. Yeah, sound like a little pimpish. Little pimpish. Okay, okay. Okay, well, let me rephrase it. Up. Yeah, let's try again. Let's let's rephrase that. Let's put these lovely ladies in a position. Entrepreneurs. Where they can control. Independent contractors. Where they, have, where they can have more control of their own destiny. And where can they, they can prosper and benefit from the talents and the attributes that they have, they possess. That was better. That was better. All right, moving on. Speaking of hair, um, this story is Ugh, tragic and it's sad and when you hear us talk about it it's probably going to piss you off especially if you have a little girl so um school shaved seven-year-old girl's head without mom's permission reportedly said it will grow back straight for them to do this it was very upsetting not just to me but to her denise robinson sent her seven-year-old daughter to the little heroes group home and drink it this week with long hair and now she's nearly bald her hair was Two ponytails on the side on Saturday, and it was braided in the ponytails. There was nothing wrong with her hair. The program says they cut the girl's hair because of a hygiene issue. But Denise's lawyer says a volunteer also made racial comments to the girl. The volunteer informed this seven-year-old biracial child that by shaving her head, her hair would grow back straight. Mm -mm -mm. So this little girl went to school with her hair done. And the teacher took it upon herself, took the liberty to shave this young girl's head and to say, hey, your hair is curly. It's going to grow back straight. Um, well, and she's a, she is a mixed girl. So that's why she, she is a mixed have the kinky kind of curly hair. Ugh. It's just unacceptable. That is that is absolutely unacceptable. I, I can't believe that an educator took the liberty to cut someone's a child's hair, like to do something that will alter you know, a human being's makeup. Like, why would you, why would you do that? Unless there was a a hygiene issue or a safety issue where her hair might have got caught in a door or something. You know what I mean? Like, I just cannot believe that happened. But it was, it was none of that. It It was was nothing. It was none of that. So I, I, I'm, I still, I'm still in shock. I mean, you all told me about this earlier today and I'm just kind of like, really? Like, I, mm. Bro, I'm, I'm rolling up to that school, man. Like I'm, I, I'm fighting everybody. Like everybody getting it, from like the custodian to the damn bus driver to the, like everybody getting it, bro. On everybody that. getting it. I'm like the Punisher <laughs> dude. I'm walking in. Like, do you? If you send my kid home, my little girl home with a bald head, dude. Bald head. She that that little girl had like long, flowing locks. Beautiful, of hair. yeah. Beautiful curly hair, man. And they shave her, and it, and then couldn't give like a reason for doing it. And for mm-hmm. the for the teachers to not only cut her hair but to admonish her the entire time you're cutting the hair and tell her that if I cut your hair, your hair it's gonna, gonna go be back straight as if straight 
is bad. Well, just imagine the psychological trauma that this young girl is going to suffer for. It's going to last knows. a while. It's going to last yeah. a while. Dude, that's something will be named after my daughter by the time my lawyers are finished with her, straight up. Well, you got to think, you know, she's seven years old, man. And that's, you know, a crucial age. You're either going to make or break this child. or You don't know the impact this is going to have. To me, it's not enough for this woman to get fired. It's not enough for the school to get sued. I mean, she should go to jail for assault, man. Yeah. That's how I look at it. Well, let me tell you the sad thing is, man, when I when I did some research on this story, you know, I just I couldn't find the actual title of the article or the, or the, the article I heard about. So I just Googled, you know, little girl, hair got cut off by a school administrator. And I probably got hit up. I probably saw over 100 different articles, like completely different articles. Every few months, every year, some little girl getting her hair cut, some teacher either a not under some you know some little girl like a natural hairstyle or something a teacher not understanding you know that that braids don't mean dirty or locks don't mean dirty yeah and they're literally cutting cutting these little girls hair and this story this story in particular kind of stuck out because the mom is white and her responses and i saw another article with some additional responses she was more confused because she was basically like, I just can't understand why. Like, why they cut my baby hair, you know? But it wasn't mm-hmm. like, she was confused. It wasn't like the anger. And when I read some of the other articles for, you know, black parents, when they found out their daughter's hair was cut, oh, they immediately pressed charges. Oh, they immediately mm-hmm. got, like, it was, the tenor was completely different. So that was kind of like, huh, this is kind of weird. Is she, because she was, she went to the school, like, really not understand, like, do you guys not like my daughter's hair? Is something wrong with her hair? Kind of putting the onus back on the little girl, like as if her hair was inferior or something. Um, mm-hmm. It's just sad, man. Well, I think, you know, I mean, just in my line of work, it just makes me think, you know, part of one of the things that we should offer with social designs should be going to schools and talking to teachers about hair and what it means and things to say and things not to say and things not to do. Mm-hmm. You'll be you'll be surprised. I mean, you'll be surprised that things that people Granted, this is a separate situation. Like, this lady had no right to cut her hair. She had no right to say the things that she said. I think it was very, um, it was premeditated. That's what I think from the story that I've heard. But I think that there are a lot of people who say things that they may not mean to say that do a lot of damage to to young kids. And, And that's, I think, in the education system as well as, like, in the home. Like, I love my mama to death. Mama, if you listen to this podcast, don't take this any kind of way. But... Anytime my mom would pull out the straightening comb when I was little and put it on the stove and complain about doing my hair implicitly, I would think, you know, well, maybe my hair isn't good enough. You know, I talk about that in the book as well. So it's like, mm-hmm. I think we have to be really taught and reframed in, in the messages that we send, I send each other internally. And then those implicit things that create, I think, different levels of microaggressions within different organizations, like People got to be trained. And if, and if you have the training, then you are, need to be held to a certain level of accountability. And when you're not being held accountable, um, then that is, you know, means for a next step, whatever that next step is. But it was that, I, like I said, I'm still, I still can't believe that actually happened. <laughs> I can't imagine it happened to anybody in my family. I don't know what I would do. I just don't know what I would do. You know, when I, when I looked at some of the articles and stuff too, one of the things that stood out too was, it was a lot of little boys, you know, like there's new, like the Odell Beckham haircut. Like a lot of schools mm-hmm. hate that. A lot of administrators and stuff hate that kind of that dye hair, that kind of curly kind of top. And they're sending boys home for the haircut. They're saying it's not compliant with like uniform codes. And they 
you know, I saw one school in particular, they they actually took pictures of all these boys' hair, and mm-hmm. I guess the the board kind of stepped in and asked them to send pictures to show them, compare them to other like white kids, and they were showing like, you know, white kids had like the spiky kind of comb over, basically the same damn haircut, the same fade on the side and with the flip up hair. Same haircut. The only thing that was different is one of us kind of curly, which is a black kid, and the other one straight, which is a white kid. Same pet designs in their hair and everything else. The white kid is fine. The black kid is suspended. And it was over mm-hmm. and over again where, you, you, you know, you see white kids are able to kind of uh, be creative in the way they look. They kind of express themselves in, the, in, in their hairstyles and their clothing and that kind of thing. And black kids are constantly over and over again, unanimously over and over again, getting reprimanded for, you know, for trying to look the, the way that they, for having a hair behave the way it comes out of the head naturally without mm-hmm. products or wave caps and, and string cones and all that other stuff, man. Yeah, it's crazy. But if you, but if you look back, um, anytime, you know, black people, black society, they, they try to establish something, you know, whether it's a fashion or a trend or something. It always gets rejected, rejected in little subtle ways. You remember when we were younger, dude, you can get in certain clubs if you had, you know, baggy jeans, any sport, athletic gear, you know, and they weren't boots specific. They were Timberland. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it could, you can show up and there was some damn <laughs> black Wolverine work boots. Or some damn Doc, some damn Doc <laughs> Martens. They wouldn't Wolverine. say nothing. But if you if you got some Buck suede, fucking tan Tims, you get you got to get up out of it. And they knew New York. Dude, I, I went I went to some clubs like in you know nineties and two thousands and stuff. It was like blue Yankee hat. Period. You can't wear that. You can't come in with a yeah white, white t shirt. Nah, Tims on because they they mm-hmm. equate, and like they equated that to. You know, black thugs and that kind of thing. But if you go to you know white clubs and white bars and stuff, they in there drinking, getting you know, fighting each other, getting tossed out, doing all kind of crazy stuff. But they associated certain looks to thuggery and, and certain mm-hmm. behaviors and stuff. And yeah, man, it's it's and especially if you go you know different countries and stuff. And and yeah, it's it's always been that way, man, where we get targeted for our appearance. And they can wear the same thing, behave the same way, and it's fine. Yeah, I remember, I remember I was in Miami and we went to this one place and I had on some um sub. Uh, oh man, what's the Chucks? They're not like regular Chucks. They're like the casual oh, yeah, Chucks. Yeah. Uh, uh, I got a pair of those. The uh, damn John. Yeah, I yeah, you yeah. you know what I'm talking about. So um, <clears throat> we went to line to get in the club, and I went with two. You know, I had on some like nice jeans and a shirt and the Chucks. And, you know, it was a dude in front of me, and he pretty much had on, like, you know, like, sneaker sneakers. I'm like, yo. I said, these shoes look better than the shoes he got on, but mm-hmm. you could get in, but I can't get in? He said, oh, okay. Oh, my, my bad, man. My bad. He let me in, but it goes back. You had to back. show evidence. I had to show evidence, but, and some people are going to say, well, how does this, you know, relate to the little girl's hair? It relates in that sense that, you know, what we do and what we wear and how we look and how we present ourselves is deemed um, either ugly or threatening Mm -hmm. or it's just not acceptable. So it's another one of those things and everything is. And I'm glad we we picked the topics we did because all of this is going back to what we started off at the beginning of the show. 
I mean, you're more than enough. So if someone doesn't want to let you get into, you know, a club just based off of what you're wearing, you don't need to go in there. You're more than enough. And if people feel like they want to criticize you based off the way your hair looks and, you know, say it's ugly. Oh, let me touch it. Yo, it's so soft and all this other stuff. You don't have to put up with that. You're more than enough. And I think, you know, that's a message we have to get out to our kids at a young age so they understand it. And like, man, if that was my child, I would have been up upset at all if they're like listen you cannot touch me you cannot touch my hair do not touch me get away from me because i would have actually really appreciated if this little girl would have done that well, man because she didn't right? it, like like yeah, the she yeah that's I'm true sure she just she they may have had the restraint and plus it was a uh alternative alternative school for kids with with uh uh behavioral disorders i'm sh- they probably had to hold her down right to to cut, I mean, that girl had a lot of hair in her head, and they cut her with a damn number one blade, <laughs> number one guard, through no line up. That's the big thing too. Did it? And how? I'm wondering how did that happen? Was it multiple people? That's what it could I'm have saying. been just like, one person. And they didn't. The thing is, they didn't line up, dude. They didn't give her no part. They didn't give no. It wasn't no tight season, man. It was just they just put a one guard on and went over it, man. Like that's like a that's like a homeless man haircut, man. They, I ain't like that, man. She gave some Beijing or something. <laughs> Give a tight line. But you know what? But you know what I just thought? Like, even though it's to me when I was watching the video. Okay, so now I'm just picking apart the video. The mom in the video, she didn't look too upset to me when I was watching the the video. And so I'm wondering, and I'm wondering, like, I wonder. Okay, so this is going to, I'm going to keep that to myself. I wonder. Say it, say it. No, no I just, I would just it. like to know, I would just like to know more details surrounding why they felt like they had the right to well, do they, it. That's well, all I'm I saying. know that they didn't I'll, have permission and the mom was upset because I, I did see some comments where the mom was highly upset and she did contact the lawyer and they are considering it, considering it as assault. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, some of the comments that I heard from the mom was kind of like, will it grow back straight? You know what I mean? <laughs> it was, was kind of like she... It was yeah, interesting. It was just, she was kind of like, I was like, she a, she a culprit in this. You know, it wasn't dirty. It wasn't locks, you know, like it was weird. Like her comments, like I said, when I saw some of the other articles with black moms and black dads that, that, that happened to, they were irate. There wasn't, there was no, when they, when you see their art, when you see their interviews with the news reporters and stuff, they, they, they on 10. Well, no, this mom I'm referring to saying. was black. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. This is a black mom. Yes. Dude, I'm going up in there like DMX on belly, barking and everything, <laughs> man. What the deal? Yeah, man. That's us. Man, that makes me so upset, man, because, you know, I got two little boys, man, that, you know, right in there in private school and stuff, and they will be going in public schools, and I know they're going to have to deal with certain BS. I'm not saying they got to deal with their hair and stuff getting cut off, but they're going to have to deal with prejudice and biases because now they're they're small private school with you know a black black administrator and and um, you know it's going to be different. They're going to have to be you know kind of indoctrinated and into quote unquote normal regular school system. And they're going to have to deal with stuff that they wouldn't ordinarily have to deal with if they were in their own community always. So, yeah, yeah. it's going to suck, man. But you know what? I think part of um, what we have to part of what we have to do moving forward, because I do believe that there's a way forward. I really do. I think part of what we have to do internally when I think about like 
my nieces and people in my family and the black community, I think we really need to take time to reflect on what it is that we're doing to perpetuate systems of oppression, systems of marginalization. Like, what can we do within our own communities to say, well, we're not going to call each other beige. You know, we're not going to call each other certain names. We're not going to, you know, have have the whole hair conversation, good hair, bad hair conversation. There's no such thing as good hair, bad hair. All of it's good hair. All of it is hair, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think that's part of the part of it. And then secondly, you know, the more work that I do in diversity and the more communities that I'm able to work with, many things that we all go through um, as people in the black community are similar to things, even thinking about kids, right? A lot of kids go through similar things based on what we're learning from societal norms based on what we're learning from cultural norms in in organizations and with our families. And so I think when we look at it, like when we have conversations about difference and celebrating difference, everybody's going to benefit. We're setting up, we're setting up environments where everybody benefits if we like look at it from their perspective, which is I think extremely important in, in figuring out ways to figuring out a way forward. Indeed. Moving on. Um, this is the segment of the show. <laughs> Well, we discuss highlights and um, areas of black excellence, whether it's in film, music, books, literature, uh, anything you want. Uh, Dexter, do you have your spotlight of the week prepared? Uh, you know what, man? Uh, I got look, this week. I'm gonna do something a little different, man. This is this is <sighs> this gonna serve as more since this is Halloween. This is gonna serve more as a as a disclaimer or I guess a, a warning to, because we see it all the time on social media and stuff. We see white people putting on blackface and dressing, certain, putting on certain costumes and stuff for Halloween as if it's acceptable because it's Halloween. And I'm just telling white people today and going forward that this ain't the year for it, man. Like, let's not put on women, white women, let's not put on, put on black mask on your face, makeup mask. And pretend as if it's cute, you know. Let's not wear Native American headdresses. Let's not put on, you know, Mac dark brown Mac makeup and pretend to be Serena Williams or something like. Let's not do it this year. Let's let's be better than that. Let's be let's what, be above that. What Dex? I just thought of um, a movie idea for us. Um, we could discuss it offline, but it's 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 on those lines. It's gonna be our sci-fi thriller. That we've been Let's talking get it, about. Man. Let's get it, man. But you know, yeah, yeah man. You know, it's a, look, this Halloween, man. You see these crazy people online, and they like, what? What did I do? What did I do? Did I do something wrong? I just want to dress up. I just want to dress up like damn, uh, like damn uh, Jim Brown. You know? <laughs> I want to be Steve yeah. Harvey. You know? Chris from the back ever. So, so I don't believe I don't believe in blackface, right? I don't believe in blackface because of the the history connected to it, and because a lot of times it's done maliciously. However, when you talk, when you just, <laughs> not however, I'll say and, when you just mention like the mask, like makeup mask, whether it's like an actual mask or, or you know, blackface, I just got a visual and it is Halloween today. So I just got a visual of me and my African-American uh, caramel brown self walking around Rich Square with a Raggedy Ann <laughs> mask on as a kid, right? And it's Raggedy Ann, right? It's a, cost- it's a costume. I'm not saying that to say blackface is okay. I'm just saying as I had a visual. I was being a white little girl as a black little girl 
And I never really thought about that until this moment. It just goes back to the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because look, how many I, I was I was Ghostbusters and everything with the plastic mask with cutout holes in it. The plastic. The plastic holes. I just had I just had a, I had a yo, moment. I, saw, yo, I, I took my kids out trick or treating today, and oh. the thing that blew me away the most was how nice those costumes were. Like they got yes. like 3D muscles a, and oh my gosh. Yo, I was at a school today and they had a parade. They do parades now in schools with these little kids. And I mean, these costumes were like, yeah. wow. They made me want to go dress up. Dude, it's not the 80s anymore. It's 2017. But what do y'all I'm think? just saying, like, dude, dude, yeah, remember, we the costumes that we wore, remember they had the plastic mask up front, like the He Man plastic mask. With the rubber, with the rubber band, band in the back. back. Yeah. With the yeah, little pop. holes that you could yeah, the pop. out of. And the damn just. Dude, and all the you know was a damn plastic apron in front of you, dude. That you tied, tied up. Exactly, it was just painted on the front and nothing <laughs> on the back. Two D, and dude, my my Ooh. kids got like three D, like Captain America and damn Flash, like muscles and and it's like damn man, it's, this is like some some studio quality type costumes, man. And I, yeah, I was upset, man. I was upset. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. jealous. My friend plays no costumes. So like, Jada, Jada, do you <laughs> do you have your spotlight? of the week yeah i do because it is basketball season i wanted to shout out um a good friend of mine coach i call her coach jay wood but she has um a basketball company called work in progress but she's a, a coach at a local high school here in um, high point high point andrew so shout out to jasmine wood one of the best players coaches i've ever met in my life um jasmine wood work in progress look it up work in progress she's the bomb.com all right. Well, um, since y'all, I'm gonna stick with my original. Um, I think everyone. So, so, uh, so, 1804 is a documentary on the hidden history of Haiti um, by filmmaker Tariq Nasheed. If you have watched the Hidden Color series um, one through four, he is also the director and producer of that. Um, uh, the, the, the new film 1804 talks about the untold history of Haiti. And the Haitian Revolution, which was the most successful slave rebellion in history. So um, it is out on DVD tomorrow. Um, it was a select theaters across the country. I highly recommend it. I can't wait to get my copy and check it out. Um, whenever I see black documentaries or something like this, I always buy it. I always support the call. So 1804, The Hidden, hidden History of Haiti. Check it out. Word. Cool. All right. So wrapping this thing up, Jada, once again... Um, Thank you for coming on the show. We appreciate you and we appreciate what you're trying to do and the change you're trying to influence and how you're trying to be a catalyst and, you know, help people across the country and the world. So before we get out of here, one of the last things we want the people to hear, what can we get your book and drop all your social media stuff once again so it's fresh on their minds? Thank you. Thank you once again for having me. Listeners, go to jadamonicadrew.com forward slash enough to pre-order your book. They are half off until December. Um, so go ahead and get your more than enough book. Follow me on Instagram, on Twitter at j.drew, J-D-O-T-D-R-E-W. I'm on Facebook, jadamonicadrew. And just, you know, go forth and be more than enough. Shout out 252. Shout out Rich Square. Rich Square. To my mama, Joanne Phillips Drew. All right, Dex, um, go ahead and drop your social media handles and as well let them know the um, the first three loyal listeners that 
do X, Y, and Z, what are they going to get next? Yeah, man. Uh, piggybacking on, on Jada's wonderful book, the first three listeners that um, uh, like the uh, podcast, either through iTunes or Stitcher, uh, leave us a five-star review. Also, a hashtag more than enough and uh, provide... Um, definitely provide a review of the episode of the show in general just give us a give us a five-star review we will be giving you a copy of um, of jada's book uh more than enough so if you want and it's, like i said it's the first three people so you know get it in quick we need a screenshot any visual evidence i'm a forensics investigator <laughs> i need to see the real deal evidence no screen capture none of that stuff no 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 copying and pasting um, we will be verifying the feedback too <laughs> so yeah just send us feedback man let us know tell us about the show tell us what you like tell us what you don't like say whatever you want to say any questions i don't care what you say as long as it's five stars four stars get you nothing five stars get you everything um regarding my social media if you can find me on facebook as dexter joiner you can find me on instagram as dex underscore excellence which is dexcellence uh you can find me on twitter as well uh it's d-e-x-x-j-o-y um so yeah check me out look us up follow the show well in closing you can find the what more can i say podcast on all major podcast platforms stitcher itunes google play soundcloud and the what more can i say webpage you can follow us on twitter what more can i say podcast uh, instagram what more can i say podcast and like our facebook fan page my social media handles nc boy 80 across the board twitter instagram playstation network ernest sexton on facebook even though if you're not a friend of a friend you're not gonna be able to find me so that's gonna be useless but definitely uh, follow us, uh, listen to the show, like it, provide provide feedback, give us those five stars. And you don't know, uh, you might just be the next guest on the What More Can I Say podcast. Word. Lady, gentlemen, thanks it's been again, a blast. Everyone. Thank you. Thanks again, Jada, for joining the show. And Jada, uh, in tradition of the show, we're going to let you sing us out on this one. Just, just what more can I say? Just belt it out however Bring you want to say soul, it. from the diaphragm. got to feel it. Oh, when my gosh. The from the audio. What more can I? What more can I? What more can I say? Got something you want to share or contribute to the show? Contact the guys via Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Don't forget to like the show and, as always, provide feedback. You can also hit them up via email at whatmorecanisay.podcast at gmail.com. Good night, America. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the host and other contributors. It's just jokes, people. One more-